We are in the book of Zechariah, and we're in chapter 13, nine verses. It's a small chapter, but boy, is it bulging with truth and power. And uh, we're going to see some great things. I'm going to read the whole chapter to you since it's not a very long one. And I'm going to give you the outline. And uh, let's stand for the read of God's Word, verse 1. We'll read nine verses, and I'll just give you the outline, then we'll get right into the message tonight. In that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for cleansing. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. And it shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, then his father and his mother that beget him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live, for thou hast, thou hast speakest lies in the, in the name of the Lord. And his father and his mother that beget him shall thrust him through with when he is prophet when he prophesieth. Boy, that's rough. Verse four. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophet shall be ashamed every one of his vision when he has prophesied. Neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. Did you know prophets had uniforms? They did. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Verse five. But he shall say. I am no prophet. Boy, tell you, he's going to back up here. I am a husbandman, for man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he answered, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined. And will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. I want to use for a subject tonight, from, taken from verse 1, Israel finally found the fountain. Maybe seated. Israel has finally found the fountain. Let me give you the outline before we get into the preaching. In that day, there shall be a fountain open, verse 1. Verse 2 through 5, in that day, idols and false prophets shall be cut out of the land. Number 3, verse 6 and 7, confusion in Bible translations. Verse 8 and 9. One-third of Israel cleansed with a different kind of fire. That outline, 
just makes me shiver with excitement, but yet dread as well. Because I realized that in chapter 13, not that God doesn't always mean business, but boy, this is, he really means business in this chapter. In chapter 12, Israel is converted. Remember last week we talked about all of Israel, not just the men, but the women and the children, every tribe, everyone individually, a third part of Israel that was left alive, repented and was converted. So in the 12th chapter, you find Israel converted because um, they saw Jesus in verse 10 in whom they had pierced, the crucified Christ. And their life was changed as in the day that Josiah was killed in battle uh, by King Pharaoh Necho, and Israel lamented and mourned. In verse 2 through 14, 12, 13, and 14 of chapter 12, it talks about all of Israel repenting individually, turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the 12th chapter, you have conversion. You have them converted, saved. But in the 13th chapter, you have them cleansed, cleaned up. What we want to do is we want to be cleaned up and then be converted. But that's not the way God does things. God saves you and then cleans you. It's kind of like you, you got to catch the fish first before you can clean the fish. And so God saves you, converts you, and then he cleanses you. If you get that backwards, then you will have a salvation of works. And you will feel like that you can't go to heaven because you're unworthy. Well, whoopity-doo. Aren't we all? But Jesus is worthy, and because of his love and his grace, he has saved us. So in the 12th chapter, Israel as a nation and individually, each individual. Now, you've you got to understand, a third part of Israel is the only thing that's left. All the rest of the Jews have been killed during the Great Tribulation. And when Jesus returns, he's just showing up to a small group of people left in Israel, a third of the nation of Israel individually. And a third of those Jewish people will repent and be converted. After conversion, in the 13th chapter, you see the cleansing. God will open a fountain. And that fountain won't be for drinking. That fountain will be for cleansing for filth, sin, and filthiness, washing and cleaning. So many times, Israel tried desperately to please God by their works and by their um, labors. Kind of like people do today. It's just hard for them to get through their thick head that God is the only one that can save them and they can't help God do it. But that God saves us by his grace. We find that God gives in the 10th verse of chapter 12 that God gives Israel the spirit of grace and supplication. The word supplication means help. God give Israel the spirit of grace and help, supplications. Why? Because they can't earn, they can't merit what they need, so God has to give them the spirit of grace and supplication help through the crucified Messiah 
to save. Did you know the people of Israel today think of two messiahs? The Jewish people today think of two messiahs. They think the first messiah's name was Joseph, for he was the one that saved the people in the, in the place of Egypt when they were at the famine, and, and Joseph brought them out of Egypt and there saved them in the great job. So, so they considered Joseph a savior. They think, the Jewish people think of two messiahs. One is a suffering messiah, and the other one is a victorious, conquering messiah. And so they're looking for the conquering Messiah right now. And they missed the suffering Messiah because they wanted to liken Joseph to the suffering Messiah. And you say, well, how did they get, you know, how did they explain uh, Isaiah 53? He was wounded for our transgression, you know, the suffering of the lamb. And, and, and the Jewish people claimed that Isaiah 53 is Israel. They're the ones that suffered. They're the ones that went through all these things. So they, you know, it's kind of a woe is me syndrome. Does that remind you of people? It does me. And so uh, they miss Jesus as the suffering Messiah. They're still looking for the conquering Messiah to come. And he will come. But what they're not counting on is the conquering Messiah, when he does show up, it will happen to be Jesus Christ in whom they rejected. And Jesus won't just conquer the world and the revised Roman Empire. Jesus is going to conquer them. Well, they wasn't counting on the fact that Jesus was going to put the whoop on them. The Messiah is going to put the whoop on Israel. Notice it says, in that day, in in, verse, in chapter 12, 13, and 14, you find the phrase, in that day, 16 times. In that day is a phrase that prophets made over and over again in the Old Testament. That is not the day, uh, the Lord's day. That is not the Lord's day. The Lord's day is when Jesus rose again from the grave. The Lord's day is when we gather on Sunday and and we worship the Lord. The Lord's day is the first day of the week for the church. The Lord's day is when Jesus Christ is going to come and take us home. That's the Lord's day. But the day of the Lord, the prophets speak of, is a time of wrath and judgment. And so in this chapter 12, 13, and 14, you find wrath and judgment. But in the middle of that wrath and judgment, you find mercy. As I've said before, Habakkuk says in, in chapter 3, verse 2, uh, Lord, remember mercy in your anger, in your wrath. And so God, we've been studying the book of Revelation, and we've discovered all the way through the book of Revelation, God puts in mercy, 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 mercy. All the way through the book of Revelation, you find mercy, 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 mercy. All the way through the minor prophets and the old prophets of old, mercy, 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 mercy. Until you get to the seven bold judgments, and then God has pretty much killed off everything <laughs> that, that is standing in his way, and God has pretty much brought his wrath on, and anybody that's going to be saved has been saved and salvaged, and now God is well, the, the last seven uh, vials of judgment in Revelation is pretty much clean up. Clean up, burn up, remove. And so when he comes to Israel, it'll be a third. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that in a little bit in this chapter, a third. You notice in, in the book of Revelation, a third part of the trees are 
vegetation was destroyed. A third part of the sea was destroyed. Third part of mankind. Notice the phrase over and over again in the book of Revelation, a third. A third part of men, a third part of the vegetation, a third part of the sea, the third part of this and third part of that. And so uh, when, when you have a third part left, uh, then that's not much. And Israel will be one-third part left when Jesus comes and all of Israel shall be saved. Saved as a nation and individuals. Now let's look back at this for a little bit because it's important that you see that in that day, and that is the day of, uh, of God's wrath, the day of judgment, the day of justification, the day of reconciliation, the day of retribution rather, not so much reconciliation, but retribution. God is coming in that day. In that day is a fountain open to the house of David, verse 1, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for cleansing. Notice this fountain isn't for drinking. This fountain is for sin and for cleansing. The 12th chapter, Israel is converted. The 13th chapter, Israel is cleaned up. Jesus Christ was that fountain. And by the way, he still is that fountain. In that day, there shall be a fountain open. That's my first part of the outline today. And the Bible says it will be a fountain open to David, Jerusalem, the people of Israel. Now, if you've been to Israel, I haven't been to Israel, but I've done a lot of studying about it and done a lot of looking at it. Uh, but Israel is riddled. When I say riddled, I mean it, it, it has all over the land of Israel is wells that have been sealed up, have been clogged up. There's wells all over. Jerusalem is a massive place of wells, but they've been filled in. They've been capped. They've been... Uh, but, and water is the main issue. I mean, water's pretty important. We're glad to see it coming out of the sky today. How about you? I ain't too thrilled about mowing my yard, but I'm glad to see water come. But anyway, you, you, um, you look at this and you think about Israel's dependency on water. And in the millennium, there's going to be water flowing out of the millennial temple, the third. Actually, it, it will be the fourth temple. There's the first temple was uh, Solomon's temple. The second was Zerubbabel's temple, which Herod stole the name of it, called it Herod's temple. That was the second temple. Then in the millennium, is the, uh, in the Great Tribulation, is the third temple, which God isn't in it at all. Israel's making it. And then the fourth temple is the massive temple that will be so massive that it will cover the whole mountaintop that God creates during the end of the Great Tribulation for that great temple to rest upon. Now, that's, that's probably for next week. But um, I, I really am excited about this chapter uh, 13. These nine verses are pretty cool. But Jesus is the fountain. They rejected Jesus. Israel did. I didn't. You didn't if you're a Christian. Uh, and, and we have discovered that Jesus has a lot of water. Now, in the time of the millennium, remember I said there was a lot of wells capped off? All of them would be uncapped. And there'll be an abundance of water during the millennium. And a lot of that water will come from the, the throne under the threshold of the altar and will revive the Dead Sea and bring life to the desert, etc., etc. So I think that's spiritual and literal water coming to the nation of Israel. But um, um, 
I think about Jesus in the seventh chapter of St. John. Remember, they were having a Feast of the Tabernacles. And at the end of that great day in the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7, 37 and 38, it says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth, believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That was at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And they were really involving themselves with water from the Pool of Siloam and, and, and so forth. Jesus Christ said to a woman at Jacob's well, a Samaritan, in chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, whosoever drinketh of this water, pointing to the Jacob's well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him, the scripture says, shall he be, shall be in him, he'll never thirst again, and shall be in him a well springing up unto everlasting life or into everlasting life. Now, Revelation 22, verse 17, we find the invitation of the Spirit of God and the church of God and the people that believe God. In verse 17 of Revelation 22, and the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. So here we see that this fountain has already been uncapped, already been opened, but for Israel, they will find, they, they will finally find the fountain that is open. They'll find the real bona fide Holy Ghost conversion to their true Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful, and waters of living water flowing through their soul. I love that phrase, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. I like that for a Gentile. How many like that for a Gentile? Out of your body shall flow rivers of living water. I love that for a Gentile. But stop and think what a Jew's like. What, what would them 144,000 Jews in Revelation chapter 7 be like with water in their belly flowing out like rivers of water? Amen? And, and uh, someone said, I was preaching Sunday morning and talking about... Um, that the, that the Holy Ghost will still be here in the Great Tribulation and, and that the book of Joel, chapter 2, the last part of chapter 2 of Joel says that the Holy Ghost will be here. Uh, Peter emphasizes again in Acts chapter 2, the last part of Acts chapter 2, that the Holy Ghost will still be here pouring out His Spirit, God's Spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. That's not just for now. That's for in the great tribulation well. And I was sharing that, you know, people can be saved even after the catching away of the church. God will be merciful during the great tribulation. God's going to save everybody he can. And the greatest revival is yet to come while we're shouting in heaven as a church. The greatest revival will come upon planet Earth through the 144,000 Jews. The two witnesses and the preaching of God's word, and the angel flying to the heavens crying, hear God, believe God, trust God, the everlasting gospel. Now, um, I had a guy text me on the live stream, and he said, when does the times of the Gentiles end? 
And I, I understand what he was trying to say. I think, honestly, he was asking the question. I thought the times of the Gentiles end at the, you know, when the church is taken. But that's not true. The times of the Gentiles is not the same as the fullness of the Gentiles. See, the times of the Gentiles and the fullness of the Gentiles is two different things. In the 11th chapter of Romans, you have the fullness of the Gentiles. When the fullness of the Gentiles has come, then the church will be complete and will be going to heaven. But the times of the Gentiles extend all the way until Israel is saved at the end of the Great Tribulation. Gentiles will be saved. Remember when they measured the temple court? And uh, as they were measuring the temple court, God said to the one measuring the temple court, leave the outer court for the Gentiles. Because the times of the Gentiles never end through the Great Tribulation. The fullness of the Gentiles, the church, will be taken up prior to that. All right, just thought I'd throw that out for you, give you something to study. But um, I, I, I've got a lot of things that I want to share. And, and, of course, in that day, and I love it, I love the phrase, in that day. I love, I, I love the fact that Paul said he was going to put his trust in the Lord. He knew in whom he has believed and persuaded he's able to keep that which he has committed unto him against that day. And so I know that that day is pretty important for us that we be covered and protected in the blood of Jesus Christ. My second point I want to bring out is in verse 2 through 5, and that is in that day, idols, even the names of idols and false prophets shall be cut out of the land. The land will never have sin. The land will never have the, the, the stench of sin, nor the stench of false, phony, baloney prophets. The idols will, re will be removed, and they won't even have a name anymore. They'll be forgotten. That's during the time of the millennium when Israel is saved. He said, I'm going to deal with that. Did you know that prophets... Let me read this to you. I, I know I read it real quick, but you don't want to miss this. Before you start saying God told me or God said this, this would be a good verse for you to look at. Amen. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be ugly. I, I'm, I'm too pretty to be ugly. But anyway, the, <laughs> look at verse 3. And it shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, then his father and his mother... And it goes on to say his father and mother will kill him because he's prophesying wrong. Now, that's a pretty brutal mom and dad. Would you agree with that? That's a pr pretty brutal, brutal mom and dad. Verse 4, and it shall come to pass in that day that the prophets shall be ashamed of their visions. They'll be, you know, they'll be ashamed of what they did. And when, um, ashamed of their vision, verse 4 when he has prophesied, neither shall they wear rough garments to deceive. Now, prophets had uniforms. Did you know prophets had uniforms? I'll, I'll prove that to you in just a little bit. But before I prove that to you, I want to show you something about prophesying. Uh, the last election, there's a lot of false prophesying. And we can't go to prophesying because we want something to happen. We can't go to prophesying because we feel like some, that God ought to do something a certain way. You can't just prophesy and, and make God do what you want God to do. You can't just prophesy what you think God should do or what you think God 
must do because that's just the way it is. God has a head of his own. He doesn't need yours. Hello? And as bad as I did not like all the outcomes of the political arena during that time, God still runs the planet. He's still the God of providence. Now, um, so there's a lot of false prophesying going on. And when someone says, thus said the Lord, da, 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 and it doesn't come true, uh, they ought to be really embarrassed. And the scripture says they will be ashamed of what they did. And because there's the death penalty for prophesying wrong during this time of the consummation of Israel, since, since, since even your parents will kill you if you prophesy in the name of the Lord wrong, then all the prophets are saying, who, me? I'm not a prophet. I, I work on the farm. That's what they say. Because, well, stop and think about it. If you were a prophet, the last thing you do is admit it. Especially if you're saying the wrong things. And the Bible says they won't even put on their uniform, these false prophets. Well, preacher, where are you getting this uniform? Notice in verse 4, neither shall they, this is the last sentence of verse 4, neither shall they, speaking to the false prophets, wear a rough garment to deceive. When you think of a prophet, who do you think of? John the Baptist, who else do you think of? In the Old Testament, the big prophet, you know, you know Elijah, right? I always thought Elijah was just a hairy dude. No, I, I, got it in my, I got it in my head that all prophets, especially in Old Testament times, they were hairy dudes. Hair everywhere. They look, look more, you know, they, they got beards, long beards. Poor Elisha didn't have no hair on his head. He was bald. But anyway, Elijah, I just had it in my head. There goes a prophet. He's hairy. But that's not what it's saying. And I used to think reading about Elijah. Remember Elijah says, thus said the Lord, it's not going to rain until I say it rains. And, you know, he prophesies in Ahab's and he's doing all this work. Well, they were asking, who is Elijah? What does he look like? And it says in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, and they said, he was a hairy man. Now, you see why I thought all prophets are just hairy? He was a hairy man, girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, and they said, that's Elijah. And so, honest, honest mistake, all prophets are hairy. But that's not what they're talking about. I'm sure the prophets had beards and they had hair and they, they growed hair where they wanted to. I'm sure Elijah, Elisha would like to have hair on his head. I'm sure the kids that were killed by the she-bears wished that he had had hair on his head. But the key is in John the Baptist. He's the last prophet that filters over the Old Testament into the New Testament. He's the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and he's a type of Elijah. Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair. There it is. And leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. The, the uniform of a prophet was a hairy garment. 
That was a uniform, a hairy garment. And so these false prophets said, I'm not wearing that. I'm not going to dress up. No way I'm going to dress up like a, like a prophet. I dress up like a prophet and mom and dad might even kill me. I, I'm ashamed of what I used to do. And the prophets will just duck out and die and wither away and be done. I kind of, you know, I'm glad that it isn't that way today in our land, but it's going to be. It's going to be. Amen? Okay, I, I, I shared some of the rough stuff, but it's going to get rougher now. The second point is, I, I said it a while ago, the idols and the false prophets will be cut out of the land. But now we find confusion in the Bible translations. Notice it says in verse 6 and 7, prior to this, he's talking about rough garments, the prophets falsely prophesying. Verse 5, and uh, they will say, I'm not a prophet, I'm a farmer, uh, trying to say that, you know, I'm not a prophet, and they're scared. And then verse 6 and 7 almost hooks in with this prophet trying to get out of his obligation. And so in verse 6, it says, And one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he answered, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Verse 7 connects this with Jesus. But verse 6 is the most mistranslated verse in the book of Zechariah and probably the Bible. Because translations have it all wrong. This is confusion in Bible translations. I don't know what translation you have, but I'm here to tell you the good old King James Bible is the best one you can find. But let me just go on to say this, and I'll prove it to you in just a moment. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. I do believe that this is a reference to Jesus Christ. But the ESV Bible says that they ask, what are these wounds on your back? The other version, NIV, says wounds on your body. The NLT, Living Translation, wounds on your chest. The New King James Version, you know, without the these and the thous, you have these wounds between your arms. The New Century Version, you have deep cuts in your body. The ASV, you have wounds between your arms. The Darby Bible, whatever that is, wounds in your hands. The NRSV, wounds in your chest. The New American Standard Bible, between your arms. Wounds between your arms. Get this, the Living Bible, Zechariah 13, 6 through 8, I got into a brawl, a brawl with, at home with my friends. I was at my friend's house, we were partying, we were drinking, we all got drunk up and, and my friends stabbed me with a knife into a brawl. Now, how many would agree that that causes Confusion among translations of the Bible. Amen? 
So let me show you where we're going because I, I, you really need to see this uh, because it says in verse 6, and one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? The King James Version has it pegged right. The wounds in his hands, the nail prints in his hands. That's talking about Jesus. Then he shall answer, those with, uh, how did you get the wounds in your hand? And he said, those wounds I received in the house of my friends. Judas, Iscariot, betrayal. The scribes and the Pharisees killed Jesus. I know this is about Jesus because in verse 7, it is a wake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered and I will turn mine hand. That word turn my hand don't mean to hurt them, but to help the little ones. Turn my hand to help the little ones. Now, you might misinterpret this if it hadn't been for Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ connects himself with this verse 7. Jesus says in Matthew 26, verse 31, Then said Jesus unto them, that is the disciples, All you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Okay? Now, I don't want to confuse you, but I need to say this because it's important. Most people connect verse 5 and 6 together with a false prophet. Most of the Bible translations. And that's why you get these weird translations, wounds between my arms. Well, is it or not? Wounds between my arms could be wounds on your chest, wounds on your back. This translation spiraled out of the dark ages in the silent years between Malachi and Matthew when the translations of the Bible spun off of the Catholic preserved scriptures, manuscripts. And it was with the Catholics and uh, uh, Martin Luther had a problem with it, the catechism and all that stuff. They would take chains and they would slap them across their back and they would punish their body and make scars on their body, hit their body in order to be right with God. And so a lot of people take this verse to say, this is still a false prophet, and he's made these wounds. And you said, I'm not a false prophet. No way, I'm a farmer. And they say, well, really? What are them wounds between your arms? And that's where you get your spinoff. But I'm here to tell you, thank God for the good old King James Bible. This is Jesus Christ in chapter, in verse 6. I said, this is Jesus Christ in verse 6. You say, how do you know that? Because verse 7 says it is. You say, well, how do you know that verse 6 is Jesus Christ and verse 7 says it is and, Ma- and Jesus Christ said in Matthew, I read it to you, 26, uh, chapter 26, verse 31, Jesus said it is. Also, it says in verse 10 of chapter 12, Jesus said it again. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. I hope I didn't confuse you, but when I read them other translations, and I'm not just, I went and read them. I know what they're saying. And that living Bible, my goodness, was in a house and got drunk and had a brawl and knife fight. and Oh, come on. 
But it could be that those versions, those versions of other translations spun off of the dark ages or the silent years when the Roman Catholics and they were doing the, you know, the penance and all that stuff. It could be that that spun off of it because a lot of our translation, even the King James, a lot of it is spun off of the manuscripts preserved by the Catholics. Well, I don't believe that. Well, you can believe what you want to believe, but I'm right and you're wrong. Hallelujah. <laughs> Did I confuse you yet? You know, if you don't want to be confused about your Bible, get your good King James Bible and just believe what it says. Because the King James Bible says in verse 6, And what are these wounds in your hands? And then he shall answer those uh, with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. The wounds were in his hands, and that only speaks of Jesus Christ. You can say between the arms, you can say whatever. And if you have a different translation of the Bible, I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with you having a different translation of the Bible. But I do have a problem with you being confused. And I don't want you being confused. If you've got a new King James Bible, if you've got another translation of the Bible, I'm quite fine with that. I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem. I'm not going to beat you up and say, bless God you to get a real Bible. And all. I'm not, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. If you have a different translation... I just don't want you confused. And so I wanted to take care of the confusion there. And I hope I did. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope I did. Let's come to the last one and then we'll be done. The last point. One third of Israel cleansed with a different kind of fire. One third of Israel cleansed with a different kind of fire. You know, some people are going to have to be burned up just to repent. You've got some loved ones that's going to have to be left behind just to get right with God. I'm just being honest. You've got some loved ones that refuse to serve God, will not turn to God, and they're going to have to be beat to the inch of their life in order for them to look to God. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just man's nature. Some men... And women, women are more stubborn, stubborn than men, but either way, God has to, and that's the great tribulation is for several reasons, one to punish the ungodly, one to bring the wrath of God upon the injustice and wickedness on the world. Uh, that's a reason to bring Israel to its knees and cleanse it with a different kind of fire and to salvage those who ignore God and won't go to church, won't serve God, won't read their Bible, but maybe the great tribulation might wake them up, turn them around, and be saved. Wow. I felt a little bit of a kickback there, but that's all right. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling fine. Now look at verse 8. We'll wrap this up. Verse 8 and 9. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, he's speaking of Israel here, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left. So he's talking about, in the book of Revelation, and also here in Zechariah, he talks about a third of people be left. That's why you have in Revelation a third part, a third part, a third part, a third part. Well, a third part, third part, third part makes three parts. And, and so what's going to end up is a third is only going to be, only a third of the Jewish people population is going to be alive when Jesus returns. And every one of those one-third Israelis, from the women to the children, 
to the prophets, to the ministry, shall be saved. A massive revival. We talked about that last week, didn't we? So I'll not go back there and read scriptures, uh, verse uh, 12 through 14, because we're running out of time. But I just want you to understand that God's going to save everybody. Now look at verse, uh, all of them at that time. Verse 9, and I will bring the third part through what? The fire. And I will refine them. So that tells me that the fire is to clean them. To burn out the dross, to clean out the wickedness. The fire is to clean them. You say, I thought only the blood can clean us up. That's true, but this fire is to refine Israel as a nation that has rejected their Messiah. So a third part, through the fire, I will refine them as silver refined, and I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people and they shall say, the Lord is my God. There's only one thing left to say. Wow. Wow. God has great plans for Israel. And um, We'll be seeing some of that in Revelation. And in fact, the 14th chapter, Zechariah goes into more detail about the arrangement for the new millennial temple and the battle in Megiddo and the coming in to set it right in Israel. It'll take 75 days. Daniel talked about 75 days. And there was a gap there for 30 days. And most Jewish scholars that are Christians have been born again, believe that that 75 days and that separated 30 days is for the mourning like they did in when jo, uh, Josiah was killed. Israel will be mourning for that length of time, burying their dead, cleaning up the place, and preparation to build the new temple, the millennium. And we talked about that when I preached in the book of Daniel already, so I'm not going to go back to that. But if you remember, teaching through Daniel, there were some days there not accounted for. It was an extension, and I think that's what it was for, the cleansing and preparing for the new millennium. Anyway, I've enjoyed my study through Zechariah. Not done yet, but uh, we got chapter 14 coming up. Um, I think I can get it all done next Wednesday. If I can't, well, I just can't. But um, I've enjoyed the study of Zechariah. Let me say to you individually now, are you listening? Individually, the 12th chapter of Zechariah, Israel is converted. They're saved. The 13th chapter of Zechariah, Israel is cleansed, sanctified, purified, purged. What makes you think that your salvation should be in any less order? Salvation has an order. And so many times we get the clean part ahead of the converted part. And we think, well, I can't be converted unless I get cleaned up first. No, you can't get cleaned up unless first you're converted. And then you can't fall back into the doctrine of works because you're just going to spend the rest of your life going, I sure hope I make heaven. I'm just not worthy. Well, welcome to the bunch. You know, your dad on television, the Brady Bunch, welcome to the 
crummy bunch. We're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Saved by him and being purified and sanctified along the way. Amen. He said, well, you sound like you can just sin all you want to. Actually, I do sin all I want to. I just don't want to. They told D.L. Moody one time, well, you just drink, you can just drink all you want to. D.L. Moody says, you're right. I drink all I want to. He said, I just don't want to. Because Jesus took care of my water. And he will take care of your water. Amen. But I don't care what the politicians say. I like a good juicy steak. Amen. I mean, I ain't got too green deal yet on that. I'm for the green deal. Cows eat the green grass. I eat the cow. Green deal. That's a green new deal. Actually, that's a green old deal. But the stake has never lost its power. Green grass converted to steak. Good stuff. Amen. Stand with me. <laughs> Woo, praise the Lord. We're going to give an altar call, and we always do. And I've said this before. There's a reason why our church always gives an altar call. And you say, what is that reason? Because other churches don't. And Sunday morning, we had a prayer at the end of the teaching in Revelation chapter 9, talking about an, an invasion coming to earth, and God is going to allow an invasion to come to earth. Some will believe it's alien invasion, and it is, the demons are aliens. But we talked about that, and afterwards we had prayer. And I've had several people tell me since we had that prayer Sunday morning that they prayed and it touched their lives. And so we're going to give an invitation tonight. And I want you to remember Helen in prayer. She had a daughter that was killed in a heartbreaking wreck. Remember Ward in prayer and the family. Uh, Helen is going to be going. Has she left yet? Has she left tomorrow? She'll be going out to Nevada. So hold her up in prayer. It's, it's just a horrific time for, for her and the family. Altars open. Josh, go ahead. We're going to give an invite. Come to an altar and talk to the Lord.